look at verse 12. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, your word's a treasure to us. It really is. We live in a world in which people think they know a lot, but the truth is we know nothing except, nothing with certainty except that which comes from your hands, that that which comes from your mouth. And so thank you for having, for having provided for us your holy word. Thank you for this gift of grace that we have, that we can hold in our hands this revelation of the living God inspired and and, and infallible and inerrant and written by men that you chose throughout time to put pen to paper to record truth. And thank you that your word is living truth. It's not a dead book. God, it's alive. It's, it is, it is, it is God breathed. It is spirit inspired. And Lord God, when it's preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, it has it has a strength and a power and, and, and just a, an energy that is incomparable to anything else. God, I'm thankful that you have given us your word. I'm thankful, Lord God, that you delight to speak to your people. I'm thankful that you delight to reveal your heart and your mind to us in as much as we can comprehend it. And so as we come to this time in the preaching of your word, Father, my prayer is that we will hear your voice, Lord Jesus, through the preaching of your word. My prayer is that you would reveal yourself to us as we preach your word. That you would reveal your truth to us as we preach your word. That you would be in our midst and speak to us and direct our hearts in the proper way and direct our will in the right way. And Lord, that you would do all of that as we preach your holy word. I'm asking you... Lord God, to manifest your presence with us through the preaching of your word. To give me the grace and the strength, the unction of the Holy Spirit, to speak your word faithfully and accurately and boldly and unashamedly. Father, to give us your Holy Spirit as the teacher who will teach our hearts and speak to us and train us and speak of Christ. That the hearts of everyone in this room would be alert and attentive and ready to receive, Lord God, what you have for us. That, Lord, there would be no distraction, be no drawing, being drawn away by lesser things, but that our focus would be fully, entirely upon what you have to say to us and how you will reveal yourself to us this day. I pray that we would understand, all of us, Father, the 
the importance of this very moment. That, Lord God, this is a moment that's been ordained from before the foundation of the world. That this is a moment, Lord God, in which you are determining to do what is pleasing in your sight. That it's an unrepeatable moment. That it's not something that, that can be gotten back if we waste it. Lord, I pray that this moment in your word this morning would bear great fruit in our hearts and would command the attention of our souls. Lord, thank you for being the glorious God that you are. Thank you for the many wonderful gifts that you have given to us. Thank you for Christ our Savior. Now glorify him in our midst as we study your word this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This section that we're looking at this morning, beloved, this, this text is Paul's great apologetic for faithful preaching. This is Paul's case, the, really the divine case, for the indispensable importance of faithful preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory and the fame of Christ's name. That's what this text is about today. I want you to think about this. We have just finished one of the most remarkable sections in all of Scripture in which Paul makes abundantly clear that the way of salvation is not by fallen man's vain efforts, right? That it's not by us doing anything to rescue ourselves. It's not within our power to achieve our redemption. It's not through self-justification. We, we, we can't prove ourselves to God. But praise God, salvation is the good news of the gospel, the glorious news, the tremendous news that it, that salvation is a grace gift from the hands of the sovereign and almighty God. Amen? That we are saved not by our own efforts, not by our own works, but through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, through faith in, in the work of Christ on the sinner's behalf. Salvation is received by those who confess what? Jesus is Lord. And who believe and keep on believing, who entrust their souls to Christ for the whole of his redemptive work, his life of perfect obedience to God on the sinner's behalf, his atoning, wrath-bearing, and debt-paying death, and his resurrection from the dead, right? So that everybody who believes is reconciled to God and clothed in the righteousness of Christ and forgiven for every single sin. Man, that's good news. That is the greatest news. That you're lost and you can't do anything to save yourself and God did it all and you receive it by faith in Christ. There's nothing better than that. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be saved. Not you could be saved. You will be saved. And for the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Right? Salvation's a gift. It's a gift from God that's given to the undeserving, both to the undeserving Jews and the undeserving Gentiles. It's a gift of infinite grace to those who deserve the exact opposite from God. Isn't that true? It's infinite grace to those who deserve infinite wrath. And there's nothing that compares to that. The glorious good news of the gospel is that that sin-devastated relationship the relationship that we wrecked, the relationship that we ruined, the relationship that we marred beyond, you know, beyond recognition, that sin-devastated relationship between lost sinners and the holy God, praise God, it can be restored. 
better than it was even in the garden. That sinners can be saved and that the just judge of all mankind is also the savior of everybody who calls upon him in truth. Everyone without distinction who calls upon the Lord as he is offered in the scriptures. Jesus Christ, the savior and the Lord, everyone who cries out to him in desperation from the depths of their hearts and their souls, hopeless and helpless in themselves, but trust in Christ. Trust that he's merciful and gracious to save sinners will be saved, everyone. And all you got to do is cry out in faith to Christ, just as he's offered in the scriptures, and you'll be saved. He sums it up, Paul does, by saying, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from wrath, yes. Saved from hell. Saved from the dominion of sin. Saved from its power to enslave. This salvation is huge, right? Saved from the snare of Satan, saved from, 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 you know, eternal death, but saved to something. Saved to God. Saved to the Lord Jesus Christ. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. Saved to joy and to holiness and to eternal life and to communion with God Almighty forever. Saved to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading that is kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It is the greatest good news ever to be spoken on this sin-decimated planet. Amen? But here's the question, right? Here's what Paul's going to deal with this morning. The question is, how is it that someone comes to call upon the Lord and be saved. How does that happen? What are the means by which someone comes to call upon Christ and therefore be rescued from hell and reconciled to God? That's the question that Paul is going to answer for us this morning. And he's going to tell us that the answer is this. It is through the faithful preaching of the Word of God. That's how it's done. That's how it happens. Puritans, the Puritans referred to preaching. To preaching the word of God as the primary ordinary means of grace. Well, what did they mean by that? Well, here's what they meant by that. Of course, there are other ways in which the word of God may go forth in the world, right? I mean, we know like CDs and all that stuff. In our time, there's all kinds of ways that it can get around the world. Internet, all that other stuff, right? But what the Puritans stressed and what the reformers before them stressed And what Paul before them stressed. And what Isaiah before Paul said. And what the Lord before all of them stressed. Was that God's primary means from the beginning. The appointed means that God uses for the conversion of sinners. And for the edifying and the sanctifying and the strengthening and the preservation of the church. And what he uses to awake and reform his church is the preaching of the word of God. The unadulterated Preaching of the Word of God. That's what God uses. That is His appointed means. That is what God does. He, it's human instruments proclaiming, thus says the Lord. That's how God works. And that's what Paul shows us this morning. And he does so by stringing together for us four rhetorical questions. Right? Four rhetorical questions. And, and because the rhetorical questions, meaning they're questions in which the answer is obvious, what this really functions as is a series of four statements, four statements of crucial importance regarding the faithful preaching 
of God's word. So let's take a look at each one of these questions in order and get to the heart of what Paul is telling us here this morning. All right. First of all, look what he says in the first part of verse 14. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Now remember, what's it say in verse 13? What's it say in verse 13? For all who call, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yeah, but how do they come to do that? How do they do that? How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Well, the obvious answer is that nobody's going to call on the Lord Jesus Christ in a salvific manner unless they know who he is and what he's done, right? Right? Calling upon the Lord presumes a proper knowledge of who God is. That's self-evident. No one can call upon the Lord in saving faith if they don't know who Christ is. Right? That's, that's basic. Paul's point, though, is this. Saving faith never takes place in an intellectual vacuum. You've got to know the facts of the gospel. You must know. You must hear and be, be persuaded by the Holy Spirit of the deity of Christ, right? That he's God in the flesh. You've got to know of his authority and his power to save. You've got to know his word and his promises. You've got to know the reason for his incarnation, which was to deal with the consequences of sin on our behalf. You've got to know his righteous life and his sacrificial, substitutionary, wrath-bearing, soul-saving death. You've got to know about his resurrection from the dead. You've got to know about the truth of his return to judge the living and the dead. And that the only place of safety, the only place of rescue, the only place of, of, of redemption is in him who has died and risen from the dead to rescue hell-deserving, hell-bound sinners, right? If you do not know who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what he has done, if you're not persuaded in your soul by the Holy Spirit that the message is true, then you will, you cannot ever savingly call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying here. Calling on the Lord without believing the revelation of God concerning His Son, without knowing and believing the revelation of God concerning His Son is a futile thing. More than that, really, you know what it is? It's superstition and fantasy. Let me explain what I mean by that. Here's the problem, beloved, with the prayer prayer evangelism and salvation that we see so often where we just simply encourage somebody to mouth words they don't understand, or where we tell somebody to ask Jesus into their hearts, or to repeat words in, that we say in an illegitimate act of calling upon the Lord without any true knowledge of Him. That has no basis in Scripture at all. You can, I will challenge, I will give you my life's savings. If you can find in the Word of God, pray a prayer salvation. If you can find it, I'll give you everything I have. It's not a lot, but I'll give it to you. It's not there. It's not there. It's not found anywhere in Scripture. The sinner's prayer is not found in the Word of God. We, and moreover, we have no record of anyone leading someone in the sinner's prayer anywhere in the Scripture. It's superstition. In fact, it deceives people into believing in a magical prayer that has no real power because it's not accompanied with Holy Spirit wrought 
biblically derived faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what it really does is it inoculates people against the gospel truth. Oh, I don't need to hear that. I prayed a prayer when I was 12 years old and I'm good to go now. The message of the gospel, beloved, is not pray this prayer or ask Jesus into your heart. The message of the gospel is repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But to believe in Christ, you've got to know what the scriptures say about him. And that's the role of the preacher. Preach the word of God. That's his job. Know what the scriptures say and preach it. Preach the scripture. Because that's God's primary ordinary means of grace. Preaching the word. How can they call on him? How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? They won't. That's why it needs to be preached. Then he asks a second question. He says, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? I love... The ESV, it's my favorite translation of the Bible. But this is one of those few places where the ESV translation isn't really the best. In fact, if you've got an ESV, you'll notice there's a footnote in your Bible. Go ahead and look at it. At the end of the, at the, at the, there's a footnote, right? And it points down to maybe at the bottom of the page and it says, Him whom they have never heard, Right? You see that? Does everybody see that? If you got the ESV? Right? That's what it says. You know why it has that footnote? Because that's the actual literal translation. That is the actual literal translation. What Paul is saying here is, how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? Now, what does that mean? What's the implication here? Here's the implication here. The implication is that in preaching, in the faithful preaching of the word of God, That the hearer is not just hearing the voice of the preacher telling him about Christ. He's not just hearing of Christ or about Christ. But that in the faithful preaching of the preacher, that hearers actually hear the voice and the call of the Lord Jesus Christ. The preacher preaches, but Christ speaks. And that ought to affect, shouldn't it? The very way, our very approach to listening to the preaching of the Word of God. Cannot li- if I'm preaching faithfully, you're not hearing me preach. I mean, you are hearing that audibly. But what's really going forth is the voice of Christ. And Paul is saying here, listen, it's impossible for anybody to believe in Christ who hasn't heard Christ. And his point is this, again, when any preacher stands up to preach the Bible, if he does so faithfully and correctly and under the unction of the Holy Spirit, now those are the conditions, I want to say that again, if he does it faithfully and correctly and under the unction of the Holy Spirit, it's not his words you're hearing. It's the voice of Christ and that irresistible summons, for instance, to salvation or the conviction that grips your heart or that correction that you hear or that encouragement that sustains and strengthens you or the exhortation to obedient living. That's the voice of Christ speaking to you through His Word being preached. It's Christ speaking. 
It's Christ speaking. When you respond to the Word of God, you're not responding to the preacher. If you're responding to the preacher, you shouldn't even respond. When you respond to the Word of God, you're not responding to the preacher. You're responding to Jesus, whose voice speaks through His appointed channel of sound preaching. It's the voice that everyone who is saved needs to hear. You remember what Jesus said? Do you remember what he said? The sheep have got to hear his voice. Over in John chapter 10, he said this. He said, beginning in verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is what? A thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep, what? Hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. What's Jesus saying? I gather my flock by my voice. I bring my sheep to myself by my voice. They hear my voice. They recognize my voice. They respond to my voice. Remember when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and he said to them, the reason that you don't hear what I'm saying is because you're of your father, the devil. You don't hear my words because they're not the words that your, er, your ears have been attuned to hear. You don't know my voice because you're not my sheep. The way, God, the way Christ gathers his flock is by his voice. Well, how then is his voice heard? Paul takes that question up next. Look at it. He says, verse 14, the end of it. And how are they to hear? Hear what? Hear Christ's voice without someone preaching. How can they hear the voice of Christ without somebody preaching the word of God? Look, preachers have got to preach. But what they need to preach is Christ. They must preach Christ and the riches of the Word of God. Otherwise, their preaching is in vain. Remember what Jesus said to the 72? When He sent them out to go and to preach, He said this to them. He who hears you, what? Anybody know that off the top of your head? He who hears you... He who hears you, the one who hears you, what? Hears me. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Speaking of his own preaching of the word of God, Paul said to the Thessalonians, and we also thank God constantly for this. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, You accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. He used similar language in Ephesians when he exhorted them to godly living. And he said this, you know, he said, look, that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him. Literally, it says assuming that you have heard him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Well, what's he doing here? Paul is emphasizing 
the vital need for preachers to exegete and exposit the Word of God, to be faithful to the Word of God so that people will hear the voice of Christ through the preaching of the Scriptures. J.I. Packer nails it when he says this. He said, A true sermon is an act of God and not a mere performance by a man. In real preaching, the speaker is the servant of the word and God speaks and works by the word through his servant's lips. The sermon is God's ordained means of speaking and working. The divine commission to preachers is a commission to preach and to teach. And the accompanying promise is this. If they preach the word faithfully, they will not preach in vain. Augustine said, yes, it's I who admonish. I who order, I who command. It's the bishop who teaches, but it is Christ who commands through me. The preacher explains the text. And if he says what is true, it is Christ speaking. Why is Paul saying all this? This is not Paul being self-serving in order to justify his ministry. Okay, I'm not doing that either this morning. Okay, it's not what's going on. But he's underscoring the desperate need for preachers who will preach on God's behalf and not on their own. Preaching, that word that's translated as preaching there, is a word that means to herald, or to proclaim, or to speak forth, to declare a message that comes from someone who is in authority. That's what it means to preach. That is what it is. The ancient Romans would have understood that. You know, they were very familiar with the concept of heralds, right? Kings, Caesars, you know, governors, they had heralds at their dispense. They would be in their court. And let's say something came up. There was a message that needed to get out. The job of the herald was to, was to hear that message and then go and proclaim that message faithfully and accurately. He wasn't at liberty to tamper with the message. He was not, at, 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 you know, at liberty to, to mess around with, to add with it, add to it or take away from it. He had one responsibility and one responsibility alone. State the message from the king. Do it faithfully, accurately and plainly. Period. And that's the idea of the word preaching. It's to speak what you have received from the authority who commands you. That's what it means. Moreover, this preaching right here, that, that, that word preaching is a present active participle. In other words, what it means is this. It's not a one and done thing where you just stand up and you say something for God and then you're finished. No, that's not the idea. The idea is this. It's a present active participle, which means it's something that is to be done regularly in an ongoing fashion on a continuing basis, not just one and done. The preacher is to preach the word of God to the people of God, to everyone who will hear. He's to preach the word of God for the sake of the people and for the glory of God. And it's to be a regular ongoing thing so that God continually and regularly speaks to his people. And so for that reason, the preacher needs to know who he is and who he isn't. Who he is and who he's not. In fact, John MacArthur sums it up perfectly. He says this, he says, the preacher needs to realize that God's word is not the preacher's word. He's to recognize himself as a messenger and not an originator. He is a sower and not the source. 
He is a herald and not the authority. He is a steward. He's not the owner. He is the guide and not the author. He's the server of spiritual food, not the chef. Amen. He's right. I think about it, beloved. How much damage has been done throughout the ages by preachers pandering to the culture and pandering to society and pandering to worldly wisdom and to wokeism and to that host of felt needs so that people will love them and be, and be appreciative of that pastor? How much damage has been done? How the preacher has degraded and prostituted the calling of preaching. How, how, how the church has cheapened itself and destroyed its true relevance and barred people from the kingdom of God by straying from the simplicity of God's word and instead, instead reworking the gospel into something that is completely unrecognizable to the apostles or to Christ himself. Devaluing and distorting the saving work of Christ. I'm gonna, listen to me. I'm gonna say this. I'll say this till I die. Christ did not come into this world and die on a cross in order to win prosperity and happiness for everybody. Jesus Christ did not come into this world and die on a cross in order to fulfill the fallen desires of sinful men. He didn't come to create some earthly utopia, some imaginary place of perfect government and perfect equity and perfect social conditions and laws everybody's happy about. He came to rescue a people under just condemnation for their sins. He came to give himself as a sacrifice. To pay the debt that we owe to Almighty God. He came to save and seek, seek and save the lost and bring them under his perfect reign of grace and into the kingdom of God. That is why Christ came. came. Do not bastardize and, and patronize Jesus by making him something less than what he is. Ridiculous. If somebody doesn't know, if someone has no idea of their true need that can only be answered in the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel's never going to be good news. It's never going to be urgent news. It's never going to be necessary news. The preacher, the reality is this. I know you're not preachers, but this is what you need to hold every preacher to. The reality is that a preacher can either serve the Lord Jesus Christ or he can serve himself. But he can't do both. He can't do both. And the crucial need of our age and of every age is preachers who preach Christ and not themselves. Who preach Christ and not empty philosophy. Who preach Christ and not a caricature of him. Who preach Christ alone and not Christ plus anything. Who preach, not dialogue or share. Or... Enter into the conversation. What does that even mean? Preaching is proclaiming and heralding the word of God under the shadow of the cross, ever pointing to Christ and his glory and doing so unashamedly. It's not preaching to give people a smattering of philosophy and psychology and behavior modification and neglect the gospel. It's not preaching to leave out the cardinal doctrines of the Word of God and preach a religion that's uncertainty and shifting sand. It's not preaching Christ if you can get through the whole sermon and mention Jesus' name once or only as an aside. It's not preaching Christ to make fallen man, make fallen man the hero of the story. 
and make Jesus the king of the universe, his errand boy who makes all his selfish dreams come true. It's not preaching to preach self-esteem or self-love or self-forgiveness. Preaching is heralding the glory of God. It's heralding the glory of Christ in the power of the Spirit from the Word of God. Preaching's not entertainment. It's heralding the Word of life. And it's not for you to sit and grade. Ooh. Right. Is somebody faithfully preaching the Word of God? Faithfully obeying the text of Scripture and preaching it to you? In the unction of the Holy Spirit, it's not your job to determine whether or not that was a good effort today. Or how, you know, how well he did. Who are you to judge another one's servant? It's not about grading it. Charles Spurgeon once said he was right, I think, when he said it. My contention is that providing amusement for the people is nowhere spoken of in the Scripture as a function of the church. If it's a Christian work to provide amusement, why didn't Christ speak of it? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, Mark sixteen fifteen. That's clear enough. So it would have been also if he had added and provide amusement for those who do not relish the gospel. But no such words are to be found because it didn't seem to occur to him. And then later he said, a time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. Beloved, the gospel... The Word of God, the whole counsel of God, it's the most powerful, it's the only life-changing, only soul-delivering message in the entire world. Christ crucified and all the blessings that come from Him. If that's not center stage, then preaching is worthless. It's the only message that saves people for eternity. It completely changes somebody into a new creation. It gives forgiveness for sin and cleanses us thoroughly from our iniquity. It transports us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It grants us eternal life. It secures heaven as our home forever. It overcomes death. It defeats sin. It brings us into intimacy and peace with God forever. It transforms people to reflect the character of Christ. It conforms sinners into His image. Only through Christ and Him crucified are we justified and sanctified and glorified. And whatever obscures Christ deprives the gospel of its power. Man, no wonder Paul said, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. That's the calling of the preacher, right? And that's Paul asks this. He says, well, and how are they to preach unless they're sent? How are they to preach? Unless they are sent. Sent by whom? Yeah, God. The answer there is God. 
Not self-sent. Not others sent. But God sent and God called. Preachers who have been compelled by God and because they have a God-given burning in their bones to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Beloved, preaching's not a job. It's not. It's an irresistible calling. I know there are guys that retire, but you don't get to retire from preaching. I don't find that one in the Bible either. May I be preaching in the gospel when Christ calls, preaching in the pulpit, the gospel when Christ calls me home. Or maybe after. I don't want to like everybody to be freaked out. But really, preachers, listen, they shouldn't preach. Preachers should preach not because, now listen, I want you to listen to me. Preachers should preach not because they cannot do anything else, but because they could not do anything else. And there is a big difference there, right? God sent preachers need to preach or die. I think of the false teachers in Jeremiah's day, God's evaluation of them. Over in Jeremiah chapter 23, we read this. He said, I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel then they would have proclaimed my words to my people and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw a dream? In common with wheat, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness. When I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. Well, what's the deal? The preacher's got to know that he is sent by God to speak a word from God that all the people need to hear if he's to profit his hearers. You with me? His job is to be bold in the spirit and graciously direct. It's to preach the message he's received from God, not regurgitating stuff that he's stolen from other preachers. Not speaking vain imaginations and innovations. Not fearing man, but fearing God. And passionately speaking, or seeking in the power of the Holy Spirit to bring God's word of truth and grace to his hearers, trusting that God's word will not return to him void, but will accomplish the purpose for which he has sent it. Amen? 
preacher, the preacher is not to be a clown or a comedian or an entertainer or an actor. Neither is to be he to be self-exalting. In fact, the preacher knows that the message is not about himself at all. And he's not to be weak and reticent and retiring and everything. Not to be weak, he's to be meek. And that word means power and submission to God. Not speaking on his own accord or of his own wisdom. He's got to know his place and know his mission. He's a sent man. He's a man sent from God with a message from God. And his place is to speak as a herald of the king and please the king and serve his kingdom and preach to his people and see them saved and sanctified and sustained and strengthened by the word of God. Beloved, that's the preaching of which God approves. And it's what the people of God ought to demand. In fact, I want you to look at God's view of faithful preaching in verse 15, the end of it. Look what he says there. This is God's evaluation as it's written, as it's been written, and it still stands written is the idea. As it's been written, as it's written. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. In Greek, the idea is this. It's, it's the idea of those who announce the good news of good things. That's important. In the Greek, it's those who announce the good news of good things. It's not only the announcement of the gospel of salvation in Christ that Paul is speaking about, but he's also talking about the good things that flow from that salvation. Justification and sanctification and reconciliation, adoption and propitiation, the expiation of sin and communion with God, saving and sustaining grace. Like all the good things that we have, the preservation of, of God's people until the end. Everything that is contained in the blessing of what Christ has done to redeem a people for God. How beautiful, God says, are the feet of those who bring this message. How beautiful are those who bring, how is the, are the feet of those who bring this message? Paul's quoting actually from Isaiah 52 verse 7. If you're familiar with Isaiah 52 verse 7, in that context, it describes the announcement, the joy and the freedom at the announcement of the end of the Babylonian captivity of the people of God. When God's messengers announced the good news of happiness that your God reigns. Isaiah writes, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And Paul applies this to the preachers of the good news. And and John Stott says, if those who proclaim the good news of release from the Babylonian exile were thus celebrated, how much more welcome the heralds of the gospel of Christ ought to be. And you know what? Here's the truth. Some say preaching's outmoded. That it's passe. It's obsolete. There are better ways to get the message out now. They see it as a performance. Again, like I mentioned earlier, to be graded or evaluated. They speak of preaching in disparaging ways, right? Not only in the world, but tragically in the church as well. So many will tolerate 
you know, 25 or at most 35 or so minutes of pastoral comments or remarks or a nice little homily, as long as it's not a sermon, right? Anything more than that's overkill. I mean, you can't say it in 25 minutes, you got nothing to say, right? There's some people I'd like to hold to that, just saying. And they joke about it. And they speak about preaching in disparaging ways. And beloved, I'm here to tell you that they speak of what they do not know. I remember having somebody that was once in this congregation say to me, I've never heard a bad 20-minute sermon preacher. (laughs) I said, you're never going to here. I'm going to tell you what. If people really knew the famine of the word of the Lord in this land, and if they understood the drought of the water of the word that slakes spiritual thirst and washes clean the sinful soul, and if they really knew their true state, and the need of their souls, they wouldn't speak so flippantly about preaching or groan at hearing the Word of God preached. You know what a thirsty man, I bet you could never find a thirsty man in a desert who would complain if a spring ran more than 35 minutes. He would thirstily and gladly welcome it. And likewise... When the good news of deliverance and forgiveness and life comes to one who knows he needs it, it is beautiful to him. And they're glad to have it. And God's assessment of faithful gospel-centered preaching is that the feet of the one who brings the message of life are beautiful. And why? Because he's running as God would have him run. He's doing what God would have him do. In preaching, beloved, Christ comes to us. He reveals himself to us. He speaks to us. Even though the messengers are in and of themselves unworthy to declare him, the Lord meets with us through the plain preaching of the good news of the good things from God. Right? And yet, tragically, not all hear the voice of Christ in the preaching of the good news. In fact, some... Remain disobedient. And Paul turns to that next. To this disobedience of unbelief. Look at it. He says in verse 16, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? But when the good news is preached, and the counsel of God is proclaimed, some hear it, some believe it, some obey it, and call upon the Lord. But despite... The fact, but despite the fact that the gospel is good news, many disobey. Not all have obeyed the gospel. Now I want you to see that and I want you to underline that word if you're one of those people that underlines in your Bible. Because here's what Paul is saying. He's emphasizing this. The good news, the gospel, the counsel of God is not good advice. It's not a nice suggestion to consider in order for a better, happier life. The gospel is not an offer from an equal to an equal. The gospel comes to us from God as what? A command to be obeyed. To all of us. Mark summarized the Lord Jesus Christ's message in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15 when he said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Ask Jesus into your heart. Now, is that what he said? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Beloved, repent and believe are what? They're commands, aren't they? Aren't they? As Paul said to the Athenian philosophers, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he's appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The proclamation of the gospel demands a response of repentance and faith, right? I love the way G. Campbell Morgan captures it so succinctly he says look the preacher comes with good news but he does not come with something to be trifled with his message has an insistent demand because it comes from a king so why do so many people refuse to obey it why do so many people refuse to obey the gospel harden their heart against the gospel why do they do that well you know what the reason can be surmised easily enough when we consider what verse it is that Paul chose to quote from Isaiah to show how not everybody had obeyed the gospel. It comes from Isaiah 53 and verse 1. As soon as I say Isaiah 53, that ought to set off bells in your mind. Because you know what that text is about. Isaiah 53 and verse 1 is the headwaters of the single greatest depiction of Christ's work of salvation in the Old Testament, right? Why do people refuse to believe the gospel? It's because of what Isaiah 53 reveals. Because it is, the gospel is an incredible affront to human pride. In Isaiah 53, the truth of the gospel, it starkly displays what is necessary that the Son of God must suffer in the sinner's place so that the sinner might be saved. It removes all presumption of human merit, doesn't it? It removes all hubris. It removes all bragging and boasting. It removes all self-exaltation. Every single thought. Well, I'm not that bad. Yeah, that all goes away when you read Isaiah 53, doesn't it? It shows us just what we deserve and what the Lord Jesus Christ endured to redeem lost and helpless sinners under God's wrath. Here's just a few verses. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. In other words, he was stricken and smitten by God and afflicted for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Beloved, Isaiah's spirit-inspired words remove all question of human effort or participation in the work of salvation, don't they? Don't they? The Lord Jesus Christ did it, and he did it all alone. We didn't help him. We didn't bear any of the burden of salvation. He was crossed by the Father. Our sins were laid upon him. He made the offering for our guilt. He is the one who makes intercession for the transgressors for us. And He is the one who makes the many to be accounted righteous. He was stricken and smitten and afflicted and we're blessed. He was crushed and we're lifted out 
of the mire of sin. He poured out his sin unto death and our souls are given life. We did nothing. He did it all. And the only reason someone would reject such good news and disobey the command to repent and believe is because of the pride and radical corruption of the human soul. Isn't it? To spurn this gracious message, to spurn this good news, to spurn the command of God to repent and believe the good news that you don't have to do anything for your salvation but believe in the one who accomplished it all shows how hardened and fallen the human heart truly is, doesn't it? To think to myself, I don't need a savior. I don't need to be rescued. I'm good. I got it all together. Everything's fine. I don't need Christ. I'm a pretty righteous guy. I don't need, you know, I don't need to believe in God. And if God exists anyway, he'll accept me on my own merits. Man, it's hardest of heart. The causes fallen men and women to despise. Really the two great themes of chapters 9 and 10, isn't it? It's, it's, it's human pride and, and, it's, and, it, and it, is, it is hardness of heart that makes people despise the sovereign freedom of God and salvation and that he provides salvation only through faith and submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever disobedient men and women may have heard of the gospel... One thing can be certain, of one thing we can be certain, they have not heard the voice of Christ speaking to them or convicting and calling them out of death and into life. But really, let's be honest, in all honesty, they don't desire to hear him either. They don't. And they refuse to obey the command of God to repent and believe. The truth of the matter is that the natural saved, unsaved man, the natural unsaved man finds the gospel repugnant unless God does a work of grace to open his eyes and open his heart and open his ears to the voice of Christ. And the way that God does it, Paul says, is through the preaching of the gospel. And that leads us to Paul's summation. Look at it with me. Verse 17, Paul summarizes everything that he's been saying with these words. He says, so faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Faith, saving faith, sustaining faith, real faith comes to somebody by hearing faithful, Christ-centric, gospel-centric preaching. Faith is dynamic. It's not static. Faith comes to people. Okay? It comes to people. Nobody's born with faith. There's not a faith gene. Okay? Nobody's born with faith. Faith comes to those who hear through the word of Christ, the voice of Christ. In fact, the word that's translated here is word. I want you to see it. It's not the one that we're familiar with. It's not logos. That's not what the word is here. Instead, it's rhema. And that word rhema is a word that means a spoken word or an utterance by a living voice. In this case, the voice of Christ. It is through the grace of God and hearing the irresistible voice of Christ in the faithful preaching of the word that faith comes to a lost soul and people are saved and people are sanctified and they are built up in the faith. Faith comes to us. It's a gift from God. And that's why 
Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God and not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's all of God. And that faith, that saving faith, that sustaining faith, that strengthening faith comes through hearing the voice of Christ in the Word of God preached. And that, beloved, is why faithful expository preaching is so important. If faith comes from hearing the Word of God preached, and the reason faith comes from hearing the Word of God preached is that is that Jesus Himself, the object of the good news, as well, as well as its subject, speaks through the messenger to call that hearing one to faith, then you need to hear preaching. And the more the better. You need preaching that's full of the Bible and full of the gospel and full of Christ because that's what's productive of real faith, right? The preaching of God's Word, the preaching of, of the Gospel, of the majesty of God and the glory of Christ is God's chosen way of spreading the knowledge of Christ and of saving souls and of building up His people and a life set apart to Him and lived for the glory of God and for equipping them for the work of ministry as the preacher proclaims and exposits and applies the Word of God. Through the preaching, Christ speaks. So how is it that we should respond? I'm going to say to you that the most important question for any of us in this room to answer this morning is this. It's have I called upon the Lord to save me? Have I called upon the Lord Jesus Christ to save me? Not do I have an intellectual understanding of what the gospel is. You need that, but you need more. Not that, you know, I go to church on a Sunday and so God should give me points. It's have I called upon the Lord Jesus Christ to save me? Have I called upon Him in truth? Have I heard the gospel message? Have I heard Christ's voice in the preaching of the gospel? And have I called upon Him as He is presented in the Word of God to save me? Have I called upon Him in faith? Have I trusted alone in His redemptive work on my behalf? Trusted in His mercy and grace and been saved? Nothing else is more important than this. Nothing. Have I received the good news? Man, the good news is that though you're a sinner, though you have made yourself guilty before God and worthy of His wrath, God delights to save sinners. It's good that he does, because there would be nobody for him to save if he didn't save sinners. Right? He delights to do it. He saves them by by, by Christ's righteous life and his atoning death and his resurrection from the dead. Have you believed? Humble yourself. Hear the gospel. Repent and believe. Obey the command to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Stop being a belligerent, pig-headed fool. And I mean that in love. And Christian, man, if you've been saved by God through the preaching of His Word and the witness of His Spirit and the call of Christ to faith, I want you to hear me when I say this. Do not forsake or treat lightly 
the opportunity to sit under the proclamation of the Word of God, the public proclamation of the Word of God, and hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be that fool that says, well, I heard it once, that's all I needed to hear. No, really, fool. Be humble. Man, stop thinking that you know everything or that you've already heard all that you're going to hear. I'm going to tell you what, if you're a person who comes to the preaching with the idea that, well, I already know all this, but I promise you right now, you will never hear a thing. You won't. Hear Christ's voice. Soak it up. Drink it in. Feast upon it. Treasure it. Meditate on it. Take every opportunity to hear it. Thank God for it. Exalt Christ for it. You've been given a gift of hearing the voice of Christ through His preached Word. Don't look down your nose at that gift. Promote. Encourage. Bring everybody you know to hear the Word of God that alone saves, right? Support the preaching of the Gospel here and abroad with your tithes and with your offerings. Pray to God to raise up faithful preachers. In our land right now. You know what? We have a ton of preachers in this country. But what we need are faithful ones. And so pray. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Right? Take seriously the truth that people, what people need It's not entertainment, but solid expositional preaching of the gospel and the entire counsel of the Lord. You know people who are sitting under less than faithful preaching. Don't just ignore that. Don't be like, oh, well, you know, that's their choice. Why do you think they're in the sphere of your life? Why do you think God put them there? So you just ignore it? Oh, hey, keep eating that. Listen, if you had somebody, if you had a friend that all they ate was McDonald's, that was it. All they ate was McDonald's. And they grew fatter and fatter and sicker and sicker. You'd be a worthless friend to be like, oh, it's okay. It's some kind of food. And let them eat that garbage, wouldn't you? Now I'm getting close to the... Who eats at McDonald's here? No, don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. If you just let them do that, you wouldn't let them do that. You'd be like, man, I need to teach you how to eat well so you don't die young. Right? At least I hope you would. What you eat physically is insignificant compared to what you eat spiritually. Your body's going to die. But your soul's going to live forever. The question is where and how. Take seriously that it's the preaching of the Word of God that converts dead souls and that edifies and strengthens the saints and that renews our thinking and that inflames our tongues with the proper emotions and that directs our will into that which is pleasing to the Lord. It is God's primary, ordinary means of grace. And so... Determine you're going to receive the word of God well. You hearing me? Determine that you are going to hear 
the Word of God well. You know how you receive the Word of God well? You do it when you come expecting that Christ is going to meet His people in the preaching and you actually listen for His voice. You receive, you know, you receive the Word of God well when you listen to hear Christ speak to us the things that He has in His omniscient love written for His glory and for our blessing. You receive the Word of God well when you come with a heart that is prepared to receive the Word of God. For some people, the preparation for hearing the Word of God, it begins when I say, Beloved, open your Bibles to whatever. That's not when it should start. You should be preparing your heart all week long. So that by the time you come in here, you are so hungry and so ready that you don't have to be encouraged or warm up to the sermon. You start eating right away. You respond. You receive the word of God well when you've got a mind that's alert. Stop staying up late Saturday nights, wasting your time watching worthless stuff. Read the word. Pray and go to sleep. And ask God to make your heart and your mind ready for the next day. You receive the word of God. Listen, let me go back for a second. Hearing the word of God. We often think that hearing the word of God is like, a, like I'm not involved. I want you to hear me when I say this to you. Hearing the, wor- the sermon is part of the worship that you offer to God. Do you understand? Do you understand? Like imagine, if you will, Moses offers the sacrifices at the foot of Mount Sinai. Then he gets ready to speak the word of God. And everybody's like, peace out, Moses. Thanks, man. That was great. That's not how it works. We just sang. We ate some, you know, we offered some sacrifices. We're good. It's, it's worship when you hear the church, when you hear the word of God. It's part of the worship that you offer him. God speaks through the preaching of his word and we should listen. And you receive it well when you receive it with a responsive heart. Phil Riken says this perfectly. He says, Though the inward, through the inward ministry of the Holy Spirit, he uses his word to calm our fear, comfort our sorrow, disturb our conscience, expose our sin, proclaim God's grace, and reassure saints in their faith. But these are more than simply brain functions. They are matters of the heart. And we have to be not only ready and willing, but anxious to receive those things into our heart by faith. You receive the word well when your heart's engaged. You receive the word well, beloved, when you're quick to respond to the truth so that your life actually reflects the sermons you hear. You know what James says? Don't just be a hearer of the law, but what? A doer of it. Again, it would be like somebody who's a, who works out, who doesn't really, who drinks all kinds of protein powder. Man, he's, he hammers all kinds of protein shakes and creatine and all those supplements, and then he never goes to the gym. What good is that? You can sit under the Word of God from now until Jesus comes back, but if you don't hear it with a heart that receives it and apply it to your life, the, the, that, that, that's worthless, isn't it? Isn't it? Are you with me? You're following what I'm saying? 
And one other thing. Help bear the weight of preaching. Now, that, I'm not saying, okay, we're all going to draw straws and some of y'all are going to get a chance to come preach so I can get a Sunday off. That's not what I'm saying. Right? Now, uh-uh. Right? What I am saying is this. The way you help bear the weight of preaching is by praying for your pastor. And the way that you bear the weight of preaching is not by praying, God, please make preaching Light for Pastor Nick. No. The way that you help bear the weight of preaching by praying for your pastor is that he, I, would feel fully the weight and the gravity of preaching God's word and that the Holy Spirit would sustain and strengthen me for the task and that above all else, I would be faithful to Christ for your good and for God's glory. Beloved, we need to be moved in our souls and recognize the reality that is a momentous and it's a crucial and it's a significant thing that we do every single week when we gather together as the people of God to hear the word of God preached. We've got to remember the weightiness and the gravity of both the message and the moment. When the word is faithfully preached, Christ is speaking. Hear his voice. Hear his truth. Build your life on the cornerstone that is Christ. Believe him. Believe in him. And submit to him and honor to him, honor him as God has put him forth, as your prophet, your priest, and your king. Hear what God's prophet, be instructed by God's true and final prophet. Hear what he has to say. Stake your life on his sacrifice and intercession as your great high priest. And hear the commands of your king and respond with obedience and with faith. And you will find that your faith will grow in strength and in clarity as you are hearing him gladly. Own him as your savior. Own him as your master. Own him as your teacher and your king. Beloved. Every one of us in this room needs a solid, unshakable, personal, persevering, unwavering faith that unites us to Christ. A faith that transforms us. A faith that holds us fast. A faith by which we are saved and by which we are sanctified. And praise God, by which we will be glorified. A faith, beloved, that finds its power in the one in whom we believe. And God knows that. He knows you need faith. He knows you need your faith to grow stronger and stronger. He knows you need your faith to endure. And that's why he has appointed the preaching of his word for his people. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. As we look at this text and as we think about all that it means and we think about the implications of everything that Paul says here, Father, I pray that you would awaken and, and, and strengthen and call to our hearts, that you would speak to us, Lord Jesus, by your voice and that we would hear you. We'd hear what you have to say. 
We'd hear your saving call. We would hear your sanctifying instructions. We would hear your persevering commands. We would hear you in your word and you would speak to us. And Lord God, we would respond. We wouldn't be like those lazy and ineffectual people. Lord God, who might hear someone speak to them and have no energy to actually respect them enough to respond. God, that we would hear what you have to say. Lord Jesus, your words would come to us. And we would have a yearning in our souls, a determination, an unwavering determination to respond. Respond this morning. Now, I know there are some in this place, some in this room today. I know there are some that are not saved. They, they, they have not submitted to Christ. They are still believing that somehow the gospel might not be actually true. That maybe you will accept them for whatever reason. That maybe they can do enough to make you forgive them. That maybe they can live in a way that will do enough to offset all that they have done in sinning against you. Maybe they're trying to wait for a better day and they're just trying to, you know, they play with the gospel like a football. I pray, Lord God, you would convict them today. Convict them now. There is no other Savior. It's only Christ. And I pray, Lord, that they would hear Christ's voice and that they would call upon him today in faith and not rely upon their good works or their good track record of coming to church or anything else. It's, that is all make-believe. Help them see that. If the Pharisees couldn't be saved by their religiosity, nobody can. Help them see that. And God, for your people that are here today, I pray that you would help them to treasure your truth as they ought. That they would treasure the preaching of the word of God as they ought to treasure it. They would be glad for it because it's the voice of Christ. That they would have ears to hear and hearts to obey. That they would respond to the the, the words of Jesus through the preaching of the word. And they would do so in faith and submission and in obedience. Father, I don't know what all the areas there are in everybody's life that needs to be spoken to, but Lord, you do, and you are able to speak to every single need through the preaching of your word. That is a miracle to me, but it's simple for you. Lord, I pray you reach the hearts of everybody here in a powerful way, and that you would make them deal with the reality and the truth of the gospel, the simplicity of it, Lord God, and the importance of hearing the word. Please move in our midst right now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.